Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Lost Mary of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the death metal guy flying solo on a reconnaissance mission for the black metal guy, stepping in on his territory, so to speak. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, I brought a record to the show that I was very excited about when I first heard of it, uh, which was the new Imperial Crystalline Entombment record. Uh, some 20 years on from the debut. Uh, Ancient Glacial Resurgence came out this year, uh, 2023, on Debemer Morty, the long-awaited and probably unanticipated follow-up to 2004's Apocalyptic End in White. Uh, if you guys haven't heard that review, go back a couple episodes, check it out. It's a completely awesome record, uh, hilariously fun and extreme in all the ways that make covering this kind of music work. Worthwhile. Uh, so I am really pleased to have the opportunity to speak to the one and only Ron Vento of Imperial Crystalline Entombment, Aurora Borealis, and others. Uh, Ron, how are you doing tonight? Man, I'm doing great. And uh, let me just say thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I heard that original um, that original uh, podcast you guys did. It was awesome, and I'm I'm excited to be here. So I appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Uh, you reached out to us after the episode came out, and uh, it was just awesome to hear from you because I've been listening to Ice and Aurora Borealis for a really long time. So it, it, it's great to have this opportunity. Um, I, I had to, I had to reach out because I I just thought that you guys really understood the record even more so than lots of people that were reviewing it, lots of people that you know were were uh, listening to it, and I was like, man, these these guys really get it. Uh, so I, I just had to reach out to you guys. <laughs> Thanks, man. I mean, that's that's a that's a tremendous compliment. You know, we we always like to hear when we've we've hit the mark uh, on this stuff because you know we just we love talking about it. Uh, I, I guess the first question is. Uh, I, I guess it's sort of multi-layered. So, twenty years later for Ice, um, I, I guess we'll we'll kind of start now and then we'll work backward. Why the twenty-year gap, and you know, why come back to the project? So, there's a bit of a story behind that. Um, you know, we did the record. We, it came out on Crash Music. Uh, it, I guess it was Pavement, but we had a lot of issues. Uh, we tried to, you know, collect our checks that we were supposed to get. We had a lot of issues with that label. I threatened lawsuits against him. Uh, it was just a big pain in the butt. And then, you know, we sort of all made that record a little bit frustrated with it. And then we just all started doing our own bands. You know, uh, you know, we all had our own projects going on. And then, you know, we over the years we had always had like sort of. Uh, you know, interest in re-releasing it because you probably know the CDs were going for a, a crazy amount of money mm -hmm. and there were yeah. only so many of them. And, and we just couldn't find the right people that we wanted because it was kind of cult at that point and we didn't want to release it on some you know, some label that it didn't really fit it. <laughs> yeah, not so, not another crash yeah, instance. <laughs> we got a we got a contact from. It's so crazy. We got contacted from three different labels at once, and there was this kind of obscure label, and, and that's not in, meant in a, in a bad way. It's a good way. It's called IXOIL Records or IX. I think it's IXOIL. I get him, I get the letters confused. But he was like, "Listen, man, you, uh, I'd like to do a super, super limited run on this uh, clear vinyl. You know, just do it the right way." And we thought that that he was the right guy because he was so cult and so underground himself. And you know, we said, "Okay, yeah, sure, do do the re-release." And that thing sold out in in like a matter of hours. And you know, we had knew we knew the interest was there. But as soon as that happened, we were like, "Man." 
we know we gotta we gotta put this thing in the works and get a new record going on and it's funny because i had already started writing some black metal songs prior to that and so i just sort of shaped them into ice and just like with the first ice record the it came together this stuff comes together so fast because it's not super complex it's not super hard to do and uh man we just we just kind of kicked it off with uh that you know after that thing got kicked out we, we were just like let's let's just follow up on it and and then we got the offer from the new label and they were killer and everything just sort of fell into place and it, it was just the right time the right people and and everything just worked out yeah, so th that's interesting. That was a question I was going to have, which was, you know, whether this record, you know, if you'd had bits and pieces, you know, sort of over that 20-year period where you're like, oh, man, if I ever come back to this, this would be great for Ice. But it sounds like the writing and recording process was, like, pretty pretty immediate and pretty straightforward. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I always tell people we wrote the first Ice record in I always tell people like three days. And that's a little bit exact. It's a little bit exaggeratory. It was probably more like a week, but we put really no, uh, you know, with our other bands, it's so so technical and we it's a process. And with Ice, we just had fun, and it was it was almost like a joke to begin with. We said, okay, there's only going to be blast beats on this record. There's nothing <laughs> any other beats except blast beats. But that sort of didn't happen because the drummer at the time, uh, he started to play regular beats, and we I kind of didn't like it because it was supposed to be just like almost a parody to the black <laughs> supposed to be only blast beats, but that sort of fell apart. And then uh, it's like, okay, what are all the guys doing? Well, they're all dressing in black and wearing spikes. What can we do? Well, we'll just dress in all white, and we'll wear robes. And every, <laughs> everything was the opposite, and it was just fun. But So this record, I would say I wrote... Um, there were bits and pieces of it that were left out of Aurora because they were too black metal and I just hung on to riffs here and there and so I threw a couple of those together but generally I would write three four riffs a day I mean within two days I'll have a song for Ice which is you know pretty fast paced because with Aurora it takes me weeks to do a song mm -hmm. So, so, so Ice essentially began as a, a sort of um low pressure opportunity because like with Aurora and with a lot of the other associated bands with the original lineup, a lot of that tends to be sort of technical or progressive music. And ice was just something where we can just have fun making a black metal record and it can be done and we don't have to torture ourselves with it. Is that the, is yeah. that the vibe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were just kids sitting around in a room and thinking about what, what else could we do besides our main stuff? And it was just, it all started as a joke. And then we took that, we made that three song demo and that was written, that was the part that was written in a couple of days and we recorded it and then we got so, like so much interest in it and it was like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta follow this through with the, um, you know, we gotta, we gotta follow this through with a real record. And then, so that's when we started to, we put a little bit more into it, but at the same time it was only, it's only a week, like literally a week and it was low pressure, like you said, and it was just all about having fun and, and writing some raw black metal because we don't, none of our other bands were raw black metal and you know i say raw black metal but it's not truly raw back it's not burzum you know what i mean it's not yeah yeah it's not it's but not no something mayhem. something aggressive and you know heavy and extreme right right and it, it doesn't have to be so technical some of those riffs repeat three or four times and they're literally four notes to a riff and, and it's it's just fun really yeah i i think that's one of the cool things about ice is the immediacy of it um, especially as black metal, you know, it's, it's so interesting. We talked about it on the show about hearing this stuff almost unstuck from time. 
Um, you know, this style that you were playing in 2004 that, you know, people would call it Norse core or something, this really blast beat oriented aggressive style of black metal is just not that common anymore. So to yeah. hear it again 20 years later in a new context is really interesting. And we, we tried to maintain some of that, you know, some of that original feel and sound and and, uh, it, you know, it's just like, like, like I said, simple riffs and you put a, like a, a nice little melody on top of it and, and, you know, maybe write to you invert some chords here and there, create some dissonance and it, it's all straightforward. And we tried to maintain some of that with the new record. I, I mean, I feel like it maintained it pretty well. A lot of people have said it, man, it really picked up right where it left off. I would agree. I, I think that it sounds like remarkably contiguous from from the the first record and that's really impressive 20 years later that it feels like it it just picks up directly where it leaves off as you said um so in terms of the writing process is this uh was this stuff that you guys were sort of like writing and tracking at the same time like no. okay so what what happens is I, I generally write all the riffs um you know i'll write all the riffs for everything the original record, it was myself and another guy that wrote all the riffs, and we sat in the room and we just wrote the riffs so really fast. But on this one, I wrote all the riffs. Um, the vocalist actually did some stuff on a keyboard, and then I transposed it over to guitar, so he actually contributed a little bit from the keyboard. But it, it's generally just I write all the riffs, and then I'll send them out to the drummer. The drummer will start sending me ideas back, and then from there, I'll start, you know trying to shape it a little more into black metal because he, he's he's a, a death metal guy himself and I'll shape it into black metal a little bit but he's getting really good at that so I don't really have to do too much with the guys I just send out riffs and, and let the guys work and then I'll just fix stuff up if I have to and with the vocalist man by the time I hand it to him he's just the utmost I mean he's a beast man he's a professional and I, I was trying to send him some lyrical ideas and he said man I, I'm already done I was like, well, all right <laughs> Oh, that's that. Are you telling me you got a vocalist that's actually excited to work and do yeah, things man. for the band? Man, you, you hold on to him. <laughs> it's it's pretty incredible because you're right. Sometimes you have to stay on their you know their butts, and then you have to be like, listen, man, are you gonna get, are you gonna do it? 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 But this guy, he's I mean, he's been around forever, and he he's an he's I think he's one of the top guys in all of death metal, or you know, death or black metal for that matter. Um, I just always look up to his work and and really respect what he does and. And just the fact that he he's that fast at working as well. I mean, that's why these ice records are so easy to to deliver because we all love what we're doing and we're all fast. Yeah, well, that, that and that's that's really cool. I, I I appreciate the 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 sort of lightning in a bottle energy of these records. You know, it's like you can you can tell that they are written and laid down quickly, and that's not yeah. a bad thing. That doesn't mean that it's rushed. Mm -hmm. It means that it's, you know, a, a burst of enthusiasm and energy and it just goes into the product immediately. Well, yeah, you're you're right. And um it, it is that way too, is exactly what you said because we don't even spend a long time recording it. We make sure the parts are right, don't get me wrong. Like we make sure everything's meticulously laid out and it's tight, but it's not something where I'll sit there and scrutinize a guitar part for, you know, 25 minutes to make sure that it's flawless. It, it, it's it's black metal still, you know, so it, it can be a little bit looser than a, than a technical death metal record. So we don't scrutinize every single thing with this project. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you really maintain the spirit well. 
Um, so leading on from something you said, uh, talking about your, your drummer being more of a death metal guy, that goes to something we were talking about on, uh, on the show where we reviewed the record. Um, so especially when the first ice record came out, it, the metal scene has changed so much in the past 20 mm-hmm. years. I, 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 it's, it's hard to understate or excuse me, hard to overstate just how dramatically things have shifted. But back in 2004, which was right around when I was getting into extreme metal as a kid, um, as I said on that episode, being a guy that was into black metal in the U.S. was still kind of unusual. Um, And nowadays, you know, all the guys younger than me pretty much grew up with black metal being a a standard part of listening habits. But back in 2004, there were a lot of situations where black metal bands were essentially composed of death metal guys trying to figure this black metal thing out. So how do you feel as a guy who's working with a lot of guys from the death metal scene and who probably has more of a foot in the tech death scene overall because of Aurora Borealis? How do you think that affects the approach to doing this well, sort of stripped down music where it, it sort of runs at cross purposes to the stuff that you usually do? Yeah, well, I mean, like going back to what you said just a second ago, too, before we get to that, you're right. Back in the day, it was very rare to find um, a, a American guys doing black metal. I mean, you you had a couple. You had like bands like I don't even remember these guys like Cult of Azazel and mm-hmm. you know um, I, I think there was a band called Crimson Moon maybe yeah um, yeah yeah so there was a couple guys doing it but they were doing it like they were still aggressive but they weren't that raw you know that that I, like some of my favorite music ever recorded like in the history of all metal are bands like Dark Funeral like Marduk like Sethereal like Sethereal is so great to me um, mm, yeah yeah you know, and, and I like those guys like. When I first started listening to metal, I, I always said I wanted to play in a black metal band, and it just came out like sort of Aurora because I was so also like in so much to de- you know in, into a lot of death metal stuff. But I mean, for me, it was just natural because some of my favorite music were those bands from Europe that that melodic, atmospheric death metal. You called out one on your podcast, I believe, or one of you guys did, and said there's some dissection influence in there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, come on, man. Like Storm of the Lights Bane, like, I mean, you know, the Somber Lane, those are phenomenal, phenomenal early records. And those are heavily influencing what I did with Ice as well. But yeah, as far as how it influences a record now, it's almost like, you know, we're also, uh, uh, see, my guys still don't listen to black metal that much. So they're not really, they're not really, their writing process is not really influenced by a lot of this stuff. But you're right. Now black metal is everywhere. It's almost like uh, sort of the thing to do now. Everyone has a side Mm -hmm. metal, black metal project. Everyone's got this, everyone's got that. But I think if you're not, if you're not in it from the start, you're not going to get that feel like you were talking about, you know, you're not going to get that feel. And it's just some sort of generic form of black metal and that's what i hear a lot of today just generic form of black metal so for me i just always go back to my my roots and you know i'll still play those first three ethereal records and i'll still play the early dark funeral records and even the latest dark funeral records i, I love that record you know but that's that's how i i, I kind of draw influence from that when i write in my process yeah and i i think that's interesting because i think that seizes on something important which is that you know usbm um, you know, nowadays, especially now that extreme metal has permeated the internet a lot more, 
it becomes very easy for, you know, just a guy in his bedroom now to do stuff that sounds uh, Finnish yeah. or sounds French. Um, because they have access to all that stuff through YouTube and file sharing and Spotify. But, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s, before, you know, it was quite so accessible, a lot of people were just drawing off what they had. And I think as a result, yeah. a lot of those USBM bands from that era, you know, like you were saying, Cult of Azazel, uh, Thornspawn, stuff like that, they've got kind of a unique sound because they're just not as informed by Euro black metal ideas uh, as they would be later. It was a, a sort of a sort of lost in translation thing that ended up creating a sound of its own. Yeah, you're right. Those those dudes don't sound they don't sound quite European. They don't sound like the Sithereals or the Dark Funerals. They do have a unique sound. And I thought those those were pretty good bands. I just preferred the energy and the aggression. To me, it's all about speed and aggression. I hesitate to call myself um, black metal because I don't buy into the philosophy of black metal, which is why you see that sort of comic book approach to ice because we're not, you know, we're not into that philosophy of black metal. Mm -hmm. But those bands, they do have that unique kind of vibe because they were blending sort of an American sound with sort of a European sound. But see, I used to tape trade with all those black metal bands from Europe and, and they lived in my tape player and, and that's what I was drawing influence from, you know. I was deep into it. But also thrash metal too. I was deep into the European thrash metal. Quite frankly, I just enjoyed the European scene a lot more than the American scene. I think the American scene has the death metal under wraps like you said, but mm. I'm not 100% into the death metal, you know. No, I, I definitely understand. Well, speaking of influences, one that was always spoken of when it comes to you guys was uh, Immortal as yeah. as being central. Like a lot of old reviews of you guys always suggested that like Immortal was paramount, which I think, at least to my ear, clearly Immortal is important, but your riffs don't sound like Immortal riffs. It's kind of everything else they do. You know, it's sort of structural ideas and the timbres that come through. So, so what do you think of Immortal and are they as crucial to ICE as everyone thinks? I mean, man, listen, the words you just spoke are so accurate. So Immortal are cool, right? Like we, we, people are comparing us to Immortal because they got the ice vibe. They got the battles in the north. They got the blizzard beasts. And I think they're overlooking the bigger picture. Like they're just seeing the facade of icy snow and they're just comparing us to that. But that's not what we do. We don't play Immortal. There's, there's a riff off of a song called Hypothermic Possession, which we do, where mm -hmm. it's, it's a very Immortal style riff. And if you're talking about Immortal style riffs, it's really the only riff that I, I wrote that I can say, yes, that's an Immortal riff. The rest, I, I don't consider us writing immortal riffs at all, but you're right. The structures of immortal, the immortals sort of have, like in their middle middle um, era records, they did choruses and they did things that a lot mm -hmm. of band, you know bands weren't doing. And that's what we tried to do. We tried to have choruses in black metal, something that the people could say, okay, oh, this part happened three times already. And I think immortal did that in their middle era days and so when you talk about the structure of immortal i think that's what you mean because you're right we we don't sound like immortal but yet we're always compared to immortal non-stop it's sort of <laughs> it's not frustrating because immortal's great immortal's a great band and and you know they're still making good records but we definitely don't sound like immortal that's for sure yeah, no but, but well actually well it's funny because you were talking about the european thrash thing that's another way you kind of get to that immortal comparison is because yeah. they they always maintain such a presence of that that very traditional euro thrash style well i think it has a lot to do with um, you know the guitar player for that band like you could tell he he's 
you can tell he listens to a lot of other stuff. I mean, he's mm-hmm. not just yeah. a death metal or black metal guy. He's he's a, a rock star in his own right, and he's out there listening to rock and roll and you know what do they call it like the black and roll and the death roll and all this other stuff mm-hmm. and and that's why he maintains that he has some of those thrashier riffs in his stuff because when i listen to middle to later immortal it's not pure black metal it it's you know if you go to the er like pure holocaust that might be a pure black metal record but after that they start to have actual riffs you know? yeah they start to fold in more and more kind of 80s heavy metal as they proceed yeah exactly <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
Something that really surprised me when uh, we were just talking back and forth on Facebook when you first reached out was you were talking about how there's another ice record in the works. I I, I don't know. I just oh, assumed yeah. for some reason this would be some 20 year resurrection. And I don't know. You guys would maybe come back in 20 years, but you're you're turning around doing another one pretty quickly. Well, it's crazy, man. Like we, we all have these serious bands we do where we put our life blood into it and and we turn around and we release these great music videos and and this response isn't the same it, it's like the people sort of tell you what they want and it seems like i mean we we released that record and it got you know thirty five thousand plays in a month and then youtube hit twenty thousand i mean we're up to fifty sixty thousand plays and it's been out for one month we none of our other bands have done that so i was so hyped up coming off the writing of the last ice record it just sort of rolled into the next one. And, I, and I'll tell you something crazy, man. Like, I've been in, I've had some, like, turmoil in my life. So, it, it like, what I've done is sort of wrap that up into, you know, staying occupied and, mm. and keeping myself busy. I've got the entire Aurora record already written. And we just had that come out last November. And I've got five to six songs of the new ice record already written as, as well. And quite frankly, that, that could have been done already. But we started, we, we were going to take this thing, there, there's, there's a chance we're going to take this thing live. So we started to, to turn it over into, um, you know, like rehearsals and, and things like that. Otherwise, that, that whole record would be done already. That is, that really surprised me uh, when you told me that. But I'm super excited. You know, I really love the idea of Ice coming back as a, a band that releases regularly. I mean, it, it never was that. So really just transforming yeah. into that. Uh, the idea of playing it live is super interesting. I actually meant to ask you, had Ice ever done any live performances? No, we. it was just a project that we did, recorded it, it got released, and it just was done that fast. It was over with all that issues with the record label, and we all just went gung-ho with our other bands. And so that never got that never got put out live. I mean, quite frankly, I, I stopped playing live a long time ago because I just wasn't into it anymore after mm -hmm. you know doing so much with... I, had a, I was in a black metal band in Atlanta called the Stragus Nosferatus, and we played and toured and did all this other stuff, and I got kind of sick of it. And, you know, Mike, uh, my singer, he got sick of it too. And it's just like we all, this is all like our, it's becoming like something that's our main project. And we're like, you know, this, this needs to go live because, you know, we're all like, we just, man, we just, we, our first show that we were offered right after the record came out. Keep in mind, this is a 20 year hiatus. Our first show was offered was Hellfest over in um, France. Like, I mean, you're talking about like oh, the biggest awesome. festival in the world. And, and we're trying to figure out a way that we can get over there and do that and make it make it happen, you know. But we're trying to put some string together, some other stuff while we're over there to make it worth going, and and you know we we think we're going to take this thing live, man. And and we already started rehearsing it. We got we picked up another guitar player just for the live stuff, obviously, because there's so many guitar parts. We 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 can't get away with one guitar player. That would mm -hmm. be impossible. 
So we, we, we are hoping that you're going to see it live <laughs> this coming year, you know, 2024. Just for, I don't know, sake of clarification, I guess. Um, so would you be interested in making ice like sort of a, a full-time live band or would it be well, like a, just an isolated festival type thing? No. Well, of course we, we love the festivals and that's what we would like to do the most, but it's not going to be something that tours for six months out of the year because we all have like our, our real lives too. You know, like, I mean, I run a recording studio every day of my life. That's what I do for a living. Um, you know, we all have our legitimate stuff too, but we would like to start, of course, we'd like to start playing festivals, but if we can string together some dates around festivals, it wouldn't be a full-time thing, but it would be like maybe we could put some stuff together to, to make sure we're out there so people can see us because, man, we get like nonstop, hey, when are you going to play live, play live, play live, play live, play live, and it, it will be kind of fun. It, it will be kind of fun to play live because we can, we're going to try to bring this imagery that we have to the stage. And it's well, you have tricky. to. Yeah, it's going to be tricky, but we think – we think we can do it. We think we can do it, and we think we can do it, you know, the right way within a reasonable budget. I mean, we're not going to go blow $50,000 on stuff, but we think that we can do it in a, in a pretty cool way and, and, and still maintain a, a nice little image live. Uh, d definitely. I mean, uh, Ice Live without the whole look just would not be the same. I mean, <laughs> so much work has been put into that aesthetic. So, so... Uh, I guess not to dwell on it, but that 20 year period, were you aware of, I mean, you must've been in some sense, how, how much of a, a weird little cult item that first record had become. I know yeah. that you guys all moved on and did it, uh, other things, but it, ice always kind of stuck out in my brain as like a, a really fascinating artifact of what I call kind of early internet metal scene. Cause where that really blew up was on forums and people talking to each other on. Yeah. I mean, for sure, like we after like the first five or six or seven years that went by, we started noticing that people were really uh, that CD had become really highly sought after. And, and we started noticing the price going up and up and up and up and up. It was twenty dollars and thirty dollars and forty dollars and fifty dollars. And then, you know, I mean, there was a there was a little stretch where people were paying somewhere between eighty to one hundred dollars for that disc. So we knew people wanted it. And it was definitely cool to see that happen. And that's what kind of I think gave it the cult status because it was so hard to get. It was one of those items where if you had it, you weren't getting rid of it. So they they didn't come up for auction that much. They didn't come up for sale that much. So we sort of knew it was it was maintaining or, you know, developing the cult status. And I always thought that was really, really cool, which is why we never we never re-released it on CD. We never did anything because we sort of liked that that cult status. And then that re record label IXIOL, they re-released it. And we thought that was the right one because they were also cult and people really dug the stuff that they were doing. Yeah, I, it is awesome to hear that that re-release got so much attention. Um, and it's interesting to think that that's sort of like, I think we talked about that on that show, the idea that, you know, something sort of must have prompted you guys to, yeah. to spring back into action. So it, it, it's cool to hear that it was that like early success there. Well, and, um, and, and, and not to cut you off real quick, but oh, just for the, the heads up for people that are like, because that, that little, that re-release of that record on vinyl, it was printed such a limited version. Um, people, like I said, it sold out in like a matter of hours and I, people are hitting me every day trying to figure it out. Like, can I get one? Can I know? you can't get one but the cool thing is the label next week is re-releasing it again with a white vinyl 
Still, oh, awesome. Yeah, super limited still. So it's still going to be super hard to get. But so if anybody's listening and they, they you know, want to jump on that, it's, it's coming out. So you're going to have the clear vinyl that already came out and you're going to have the white vinyl, which is coming out. And our current label is going to re-release it on, we, you know, we finally struck a deal to re-release it on CD and cassette as well. So if you got the original ones, you got something special, but uh, it's all coming out. It's going to be much easily, uh, much more easily accessible to people here very soon. That's that's awesome to hear, man. I, I, I it's 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 so weird and so cool that a project like this is is coming back and doing that well. Um, especially in today's market, which is just so sort of difficult to navigate, uh, unless you're really savvy about how everything goes. Well, like um, you said, there's, there's two, there's so many people just doing it from behind their computer and, and that's, you know, that's a problem. You, you talked about the scene changing so much a little while ago and, and mm -hmm. you're right, man. The problem is now a long time ago, you kind of had to be good because when you went into a studio, it cost thousands of dollars and you weren't going in if you were really bad. And, you know, if you got signed, you were probably pretty good because record labels were. And now you got like a, a trillion kids behind their computer creating black metal, creating death metal, creating this, using the drum machines, doing this, doing that. And it's so saturated. And, and I'm not, you know, talking crap about the scene or whatever, but it's like you've got to really, like you said, navigate it. And, and find the good stuff because for every 50 you find there's one good one now as opposed to for every two there was one good one a long time ago you know yeah well i mean that's definitely a conversation i i don't think you're being antagonistic to the scene there i mean w with the popularization yeah. of like easy accessible home recording software has naturally right. resulted in just like a glut of stuff that isn't necessarily worthwhile mm -mm. um and and that's sort of that shift started to occur really not too long after the first ice record came out, but you guys were, yep. that was all recorded by you, right? Yeah. Everything I've ever done in my life, except the first two records of Aurora I've recorded. So, um, my studio has grown over the years. It started in a, in a house just like everyone else. And then, um, and now it's booked, you know, months in advance all the time. We don't only do metal. We do everything here, but everything I've ever recorded has been, you know, all my albums have been done by me except the first two Aurora records. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. So, so how do you think, especially as someone who's been so inside uh, recording, to an unusual degree for so many years. How do you think that dynamic has changed? You know, the whole, it's, you know, I'm a guy who uh, some of my stuff I've recorded myself. Sometimes when I want something more polished, I'll go to a studio. Where do you think the, the old school style of recording studio, uh, where does that fit in to the modern music production process? Now that there is, this this huge ability for people to record on their own yeah the problem is there's there's still a need for it because like I, like i said i'm booked all the time and i i have a, a fairly old school style of course i'm on pro tools but i still have my old machines and things like that that we used to record to you know um but yeah the, the issue is like a long time ago musicians used to be good and, and <laughs> they, they, everything wasn't a punch in and everything wasn't a edit in Pro Tools and everything wasn't a time alignment. And, and I'm not saying those are bad things because I do those things still. I mean, I do those things now, but you know, it's just one of those things where anyone can sound amazing now 
because you can draw notes in MIDI and then put it on guitar. Like you, no one really has to play anything anymore. But as far as like, there's still people that care about their quality. Like you know, like you know, if you're running out of a house, you're probably not running you know seven thousand dollar EQs on your guitar. So when you're when you want to take that next level, that's where we come into play. When when you're just not quite getting what you need out of the house or that EQ that you're using just doesn't quite cut it or you know you're using that amp mod but you know you might want the real angle amp that's you know five thousand dollars on the head. Uh, there there's there's still a place for it. You you just gotta want it. You, you gotta want something better than the house recording with easy drummer. You know what I mean? <laughs> Excuse me, it's Superior Drummer. We're doing Superior much better. <laughs> we, we're, yeah. we're springing for the premium product yeah. here, Ron. Come on. <laughs> so that's so. Do you and, think and the, that? So do you think that the recording studio, as we know it, is going to become more of this? Like, I, I guess what I'm saying is, do you think the the studio for demos and EPs is going to disappear? Yeah, it's 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 a dead. It, it unfortunately it's a dead industry. Um, you know, there's so many kids coming out of recording school, and it's tough to tell them, yo, this is a this is a dying field. Um, uh, I think that you're you're always going to have a niche market for people like me or like some of the the bigger studios, but. I mean, it's just like you can only have one for every 10. You used to be able to have 10 and they all were filled up and now you have one. And mm -hmm. that one that one has to not only do good work, but they have to be very business savvy. They have to understand how to you know, uh, um, navigate the, the market of even dealing with home studios. You have to know how to integrate with those home studios to stay afloat. If you just shut them all out, you're, you're gonna go out of business. But I, I do think it's a dying world. I got a kid and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, he, I don't know if he wants to do this or not, but it, it's gonna be even tougher for him if he wants to get into this whole world of recording because it, it's hard, man, it's hard. <laughs> well, why is it is, is it harder than being a musician? No, nothing's harder than being a musician. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing's hard because in the recording world, you got you know you can do commercials, you can do books, you can do you know you got a thousand genres you can record. But the the hardest thing in the world is either being a death metal, black metal musician, or like a jazz musician, and those that's it. That you're probably never going to make a living doing that unless you're you know. Cannibal Corpse and even those guys, you know, I used to know like Alex Webster and all those guys pretty well and, and even back in the heyday of death metal, they were delivering pizzas when they weren't on tour. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're the biggest band in the world. So unless you're Danny Filth and you got a marketing company where you market your own t-shirts and you put naked vampire women on them, uh, it, it's tough, man. Being a musician's tough, you know? I mean, you can, you can be arch enemy and throw a girl up front and, and, and try to take that route, but in general, man, people are just not making that money you know that's it's hard being a musician well i think i think that's kind of an interesting conversation in and of itself is you know especially as a guy that's done a lot of you know i've done a lot of music over the years it's always just been local so i've never really gotten anywhere with it but i've also never had any delusion that it was going to become a full-time job for me but i still run into a lot of people who seem to be laboring under the impression that, you know, playing death metal is is, is going to pay the bills. And I, I think that a lot of people, you know, it's a little bit different for me because, you know, I, I live down here in Tampa, which has this huge legacy of death metal, including guys that were able to make it their jobs. Um, but do you think that the genre itself of like death or black metal or maybe just music as a whole it, it's just not a viable route anymore. I, I mean, I think for death or black metal, it's almost certainly not. I, I don't think we're ever going to get back to the point of, you know, 1994, no. a few guys paying their mortgages with it. 
Yeah, it's not it's not a viable way to make an in, a, a, a true income. And like you said, those guys they're they're paying their mortgages, but are they living a lifestyle? You know, some people are comfortable with a certain lifestyle, and that's all they need is to pay their mortgage. Some people are not comfortable with that lifestyle, but you're you know you're never gonna be you're you're never gonna have that super comfortable lifestyle playing death or black metal. And it's funny, my new bass player, he's a um a younger guy, and it's funny when he came into the fold. Um, I, I think he might have been under the impression that, yeah, this is what it is and we can make this work and we can make a living and we can do this. And, and I'm not saying you can't. You can, you can scrape by and you can get it done. But I think he found out pretty fast, like, no, this is not really going to pay your, your bills, man. Um, this is something you do for the pure love of it. And, and you know, we, we could all just sell out tomorrow and go play rock and roll or we can go play pop or we could do whatever we want. But we play it for the love of it, man. And, and that's what you got to do when you're playing this, this genre. You better just be into it because if you're not, if, you know, you might as well go play a different form of music. Yeah, no, firmly agreed. And even those other forms of music aren't, aren't great at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of passion projects, let's pivot for a second over to Aurora Borealis, um, which is a project that I've listened to for a fair number of years now, but we've never really talked about much on the show. So just for our listeners who aren't familiar, could you give a little background on that and you know what, yeah, yeah. what Aurora is all about? So Aurora started way back in 1995, um, where I just quit another band, and, and they were just doing a, a, a sort of thing that I didn't like. Um, I, they, all the guys in the band were good, but you know, I started my own project, and it's funny that you, you're down there in Tampa because that's where Aurora sort of got its start. Um, we recorded our first demo, our, our first CD, which was an EP called Mansions of Eternity, down there with Scott Burns in Moore Sound Studios, and that was a, a, a wonderful experience. And the first drummer in that band was a, a guy uh, right down there from Tampa, Tony Loriano, and he played mm-hmm. on the first record, and he played on another record later called Relinquish. And um, you know, so that's a very old project. We're like nine or ten CDs deep now. We've been around the scene forever. Probably skipped record labels four or five times, and um, that's always been my you know my my project and it's always been a super high level of caliber of musicians i've worked with some of the best drummers in the world like derek roddy tim young tony loriana i mean and even my current drummer is amazing so those guys have all elevated me and i've tried to surround myself with people that are just you know better than me to to just keep elevating me more and more but that's that's like my main thing but sometimes i feel like that's too complicated for people and not that it's so teched out that it's it's too much for people because you got bands that are way more tech than that but it's like the concepts that i'm writing about the way i'm writing stories the the things that i'm talking about mixed with the music it's just like it's it's a passion project for sure and and sometimes i just feel like people don't don't grasp it or don't get it or or hell maybe it's just not good enough who who knows but (laughs) i i would say i would say for aurora borealis it's less a matter of technicality and more a matter of scope um aurora borealis records strike me as a certain kind of like big like epic scope extreme metal record from the 2000s and you just don't see that kind of thing a whole lot anymore uh where it's it's very dedicated to a concept very dedicated to high level musicianship really dedicated to sort of ambition as a a, a principal thing at least that's what i've always read from aurora borealis you're right Those, those records are deep man like lyrically they are deep. Like if you, you, you might brush over them one time and you might be like, well, this is not really saying much, but when you dig in there, 
those it takes me so long to do those lyrics because like you said they're big conceptual records and and they all flow and what's really in more in depth about it you'll have a line from one record like a, a line off the timeline record that hints to another whole record and that record will surface two years later based off of the one line you ever watch like i'm not into them but you ever watch a superhero movie and they give you that little preview at the yeah, end of yeah. the movie so there's previews on those Aurora records where we'll say a line, and that line is already planned to make a record, you know, two years, three years down the line. And and those those lyrics are deep, man. They're 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 spiritual. They're you know they're 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 historical. They deal with the universe. They deal with uh, my my feelings about the universe. And, and sometimes they're stories wrapped up into the universe that aren't my true belief and they're just there for story purposes but those things run deep man I, I really enjoy the aurora stuff it takes me a long time to do that yeah and, and thus the the necessity of ice to to make your weekends <laughs> <Yep>. a little easier <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's just the fun one man but that's the one that people like man that's the one they're they're they're, they're grasping onto and and we we like it too you know we, we think it's awesome Shut up!